We are back with another episode of the Event Buzz podcast by Purple Pass. I'm your host, Savannah McIntosh, and for this week's episode, marketing and event planning expert Laura Holton will be joining me. Laura Holton is currently the head of marketing at Automation Consultants, an associate with the Chartered Institute of Marketing, and a past master's graduate at the University of Southampton. As an event and branding marketer, she has over seven years experience across several industries from bridal and music productions to retail and technology. Because of her extensive experience heading up global events, planning across multiple time zones to implementing experiences remotely, she has gathered an array of great solutions, tips, and best practices spanning across event agencies versus single-handedly running the show. Venues, online event platforms, swag, catering, guest speakers, sponsors, vendors, so much more. I could keep going on and on. So let's get started. Hi, Laura. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. We are so excited to be talking with you today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Savannah. Thanks for, so much for having me. I'm very honored to be a guest on your podcast. Yes, I'm glad we are finally able to get together and do this. And before we jump in, I just want to give the listeners uh, you know, a little bit about who you are. So if you don't mind telling then more about what you do for automation consultants and your role in the company and maybe something you specialize in? Yeah, of course. Uh, so where to start? So my name is Laura Holton and I head up the marketing team at Automation Consultants, uh, otherwise known as AC. We are an innovative IT solutions and software provider who at the heart of it aim to enhance business performance and agility through digital transformation, automation and DevOps. I'm personally based in the UK. However, as an organization, we support SMEs and enterprises worldwide across the entire software lifecycle. And as such, I focus in on developing our marketing strategy and in particular our events to achieve and maintain a global reach. Over the last few years, we've successfully clocked a lot of event hours, both in person and remotely, spanning themes around DevOps for enterprise, agile at scale, and optimizing ITSM, which is short for IT service management. Um, and along the way, we've had the honor of working closely with two of our most strategic partners, Atlassian and AWS. We love working with our partners. Um, so it makes the events uh, definitely more interesting. Nice. And are you guys currently planning any events this year or have any in the works? Yeah. So we've just ticked off um event in January, which was uh, DevOps for Enterprise. I had to think about that one then. <laughs> and um, our kind of sister partner, AppFox, they've just completed their first event, which was scaling Mount Jira. Uh, so we supported them with that, which was great. And it must be said, kind of in the events uh, side of it, it's really allowed us to reach our customers on a completely new level. Um, one that isn't kind of like a sales pitch, but we definitely uh, focus in on like the authoritative platform and leader for key topics and challenges in the industry. And um, it's just generally proved as a great way to not only connect with our customers, but to also grow our partner relations through collaborative panels, keynote sponsorships, and more. We kind of try and fit a bit of everything in. Nice. So as an event, <laughs> sorry, as an event brand marketer, um, I have had over kind of seven years experience across a multitude of industries. So I've gone from bridal, not-for-profit, music production, retail, and of course, technology. And uh, in the last few years, our events have taken off 
Uh, we've seen kind of like it doubling in size each time round and becoming more globally orientated. So it's a hugely exciting time for us. Great. Um, uh, yeah. So that's kind of a little bit about me and hopefully I can kind of impart some of my <laughs> event wisdom here today. Yeah. And these events that you're currently doing, are they virtual or hybrid or how have you been going about doing that since we're still kind of in the COVID era? Yeah. So they are pretty much all remote at the moment. So we started doing events, obviously in person. Uh, Last year, we were in kind of halfway in the midst of planning an in-person event when the pandemic hit and we had to very quickly switch up and change it completely to a remote event. Uh, so that was finding the platforms that we needed to use and how to get the message across, obviously, mm-hmm. from switching our marketing straight from, yeah, we're going to be in person. So no, we need everyone to stay at home, and but we'll, we will be still on screen and providing everything and more that we wanted to um, touch upon. So it's uh, it's definitely been interesting. Um, we've definitely learned some uh, lessons kind of from the get-go, uh, but we've yeah. gone through a lot. We've, we've had experience with event agencies versus kind of just taking it all in-house to choosing the venues and the online platforms and still managing to do things like swag, um, which everyone really loves. Even in a remote uh, time, it's great to kind of have all of that. And I think the whole aspects of managing international guests, speakers and sponsors, it's provided us actually with a bigger platform and reach um, moving to remote. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's proved quite well for us. Yeah. And do you think moving forward, you guys are going to do when we can do in-person experiences again, do you think it's worth keeping it maybe hybrid? So you do the in-person, but also stream it online? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think our plan is more than likely to switch to a hybrid when we can. At the moment, we've got a event kind of planned for July. So it's kind of, we're going about uh, the journey to the Atlassian cloud, which is one Mm -hmm. of our partners and a very big topic in our industry at the moment. But uh, we try to do kind of two big events a year. And so potentially kind of our winter event could actually be hybrid, which is a very exciting thought and uh, definitely something we will be pursuing. Awesome. And I'm assuming because you are doing more global events now, you're dealing with a lot of different time zones, correct? Oh, yes. Definitely. I wanted to talk about that because I actually really haven't talked to anyone that's really taking on global events where we're, where they're dealing with virtual, virtual events, streams, but it's also different time zones. So I wanted to see what suggestions you could give when it comes to planning across multiple time zones for remote events. Yeah, so I think one of my main suggestions is to pay attention to exactly that, the time zone. So planning events can be tricky at the best of times, we all know that, but multi-zone remote events can definitely add an extra level of complexity to all aspects. The one thing you really don't want to run into is a miscommunication on the date or time, which sounds simple enough, I know, but when you throw into the mix daylight saving hours where the clocks are moving backwards, forwards, and everything in between, from when you start planning to when the big day arrives, you could find yourself with a mixed match of timings and some very confused attendees. Uh, so yeah, 
bearing in mind all those kind of switchings is definitely a big one. And same when you start putting out marketing material, I, I feel like that can also get kind of confusing. It depends like if you want something to go out at a certain time, then you kind of have to align it with all the different time zones. Is there a certain uh, way you guys kind of coordinate if you put out any marketing communication material? Or sometimes there's like platforms you can use that schedule it for you. Um, yes. Yeah, so we use a email marketing kind of platform called Send in Blue. And they provide all of that type of automation uh, that allows us to reach kind of our global audiences because we have customers in the US, we Asia, UK, Europe, um, kind of all over the world. And where they do have all different time zones, what we don't want is them obviously receiving our kind of inv- event invitation at 5 a.m. Right. when uh, when all of their other work emails then come up on top and it's buried underneath a whole host of more important kind of pressing issues. So the platform that we use offers a uh, feature that allows each individual kind of email to be sent out at the appropriate time for our guest list. So they've worked out as we send emails out over time, when they're likely to open them and kind of what's what's the best time within, I think it's about a two-hour time gap that is best for it to land in their inbox and then for yeah. them to open it. And that's really great because what happens is, and what we have noticed as well, is that they've um, it's boosted our kind of click-through rates for it mm-hmm. um yeah, or open rates yeah. yeah exactly and um it has definitely resulted in kind of more engagement obviously with our emails and absorbing our marketing content for the event but also clicking through and actually signing up because they've received it at a time that's right for them to take the information in instead of just seeing it pop up but going yeah, yeah. i've got to dive into a meeting right now and then i've got a whole host of other things to do. It, it fits in with their schedule and then results in a, a bigger guest list for us, which is obviously good. Yeah. And I think that's why I ask it's so important, especially when dealing with time zones. Um, platforms, a software out there that can handle it for you and kind of coordinate that can take a load off you. So you're not like sending out, like you said, event invites at, at one in the morning and people are like, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's happening? And the other thing you you mentioned when we were talking about um, how you're doing more global events and doing it remotely while we're on this topic, I wanted to ask, because you said it's now um, all about how you like communicating with people. Now we're communicating with people. It's so different from being in person and kind of doing meetings and seeing them, but now it's global and everyone's all over the world, different time zones. Do you have any advice when it comes to you know communicating with different teams, whether you're you're talking with another client or marketing team that's somewhere else? Yeah, um, definitely. Um, it's it's definitely a challenge when you've got international guest speakers, you've got sponsors in all different time zones obviously the attendees are one element of trying to communicate the message but the actual building of the event and making sure teams if they're split across time zones as well that they can still work simultaneously Mm -hmm. um it's a really big 
deal to kind of get that on track. So we tend to use a lot of collaboration tools. Um, and it's a really good starting point, we think, to events because if you use the likes of Trello, Slack, Jira, yeah, yeah, yeah. Confluence, um, these can help us track tasks and maintain a good level of transparency to our team, sponsors and vendors, speakers. It can save endless meetings and emails, uh, especially when you're dealing with an eight hour plus time difference. And it also kind of waves goodbye to being a bottleneck uh, instead of them waiting to hear from you if you're constantly updating uh, something that's visible to everybody and they can just pick up as soon as you've switched off. It's a great way to maintain a steady stream of planning, marketing, and getting that message out there really for the event. Yeah. And I will link some of those things that you mentioned, some of the uh, platforms below for the show Mm -hmm. notes for anyone that wants to check them out because it's very important. Uh, We use some of those when we do like team collaborations, because like you said, everyone has a different schedule. And so you can, instead of going through and having, you know, a a super long email thread, and then you have to go back and see what you're talking about. (laughs) It can be very, very useful. And moving forward, I, I do see a lot of promoters, like we're discussing right now, finding um, more ways to reach their audience online and be more creative and, and do engagement online. But then it's, what about those customers that are traditional and still don't really hang out online? How in 2021, can we still connect with them? Or if you had maybe some tips for connecting also in the physical world during COVID and not just online to kind of, when it comes to marketing? Yeah, well, it's safe to say the last 12 months have been rather turbulent uh, mm-hmm. for our traditional customers and the strategies we use in order to form these connections. Uh, the main way, obviously, that we've all adapted is to move straight into virtual world of remote events. And uh, But with this new wave of kind of the new normal coming in, it's a question of how we're reconnecting, uh, like you say, especially where we've got a lot of customers that don't necessarily want to find themselves online. Mm-hmm. And I think this, in the broader sense, um, particularly still in COVID times, is going to fall into the category of hybrid events, uh, especially when they can build it as a kind of micro experience is one of the biggest trends, I think, coming up this year, where they are focusing a bit smaller, regional uh, community-led experiences, whether it's localized or delocalized event concepts, uh, these are spread around various destinations and allow us to connect with these traditional customers, but still obviously work on a global basis to deliver something to others that still want to be online mm-hmm. and appreciate being able to experience it all without having to travel. Mm-hmm. Um and it opens it up to a lot of different organizations. So I've noticed, uh, for example, there's a number of different organizations at the moment that are holding this type of um, hybrid format. And they're coming up with names like multi-pod locations. And it makes it sound very exciting because they're developing these unique experiences um, with the main elements kind of in these pods but then broadcasting together um, to form a shared experience around the world uh, where 
guests can in, attend in person one day, virtually the next, and creating their own event experiences based on their personal needs and comfort levels. Yeah. And I think just really focusing in on that element of flexibility and referencing the fact that the traditional customer is still there, but they still want to be involved and find out these types of micro experiences can definitely help with that and um, drive the hybrid format forwards. Yeah, that's a good point. And what do you also think, I wanted to ask, what do you think about traditional marketing? We often are focused on digital marketing, but we they're still, like I said, traditional customers and people still enjoy getting flyers, you know, physical things. What are your thoughts on doing traditional marketing? Let's say like sending out, you know, a postcard or going through mail or direct calls. Yeah. So that, I mean, for us, that's something we still do. I think receiving those physical elements, it gives a bit more of a personal touch and they feel a bit more noticed. Obviously you can reach the masses on like through digital marketing, but it's actually when you hone into the individual, that's probably where you get the most connection and build that relationship up for anything, obviously for products or for events, uh, for businesses in general. Um, being able to drive that type of connection forwards mm-hmm. is definitely key. We've used it in the past. Uh, we've created postcards when we've had an event and we've popped in the kind of like a QR code to sign up um, to make it easy for them. But it gives them all the information that they want to know. And it's something that they can hold on to. And they can see the branding. They know that it's come to them and we've taken the time to actually design it and deliver it to them instead of just relying on it kind of getting in front of your feed at some point um, on one of our multiple kind of digital marketing strategies uh, for the event and it similarly I mean we still drive forwards um, print for example uh, we've just been in the CIO review and we're coming up to being in the European and we're we recognize that there's still a lot of people, I mean, that will have these subscriptions and enjoy flicking through. I mean, for myself, I love flicking through a good book. So I imagine there's a lot of people that still really love getting something physical and reading through it instead of finding the digital version and flicking mm-hmm. through it on your screen. It's not quite the same. So presenting messages kind of across the board in a multitude of traditional avenues is definitely something I think that is still there and it can be overlooked as well because digital marketing is so encapsulating and it's easy to get to a lot of people but those traditional customers are the ones that are probably the more long-standing ones and the ones that you actually want to show a bit more um, individuality and connectivity and communication with because they're the ones that you are likely to see the quickest and most truest response when they say they're going to attend, they're likely to attend instead of um, if you've published it on social media and someone's gone onto the event page and gone, yeah, I'll attend, but they've forgotten to actually click through to the official event page and do the full-on registration. They've just gone onto the Facebook event 
page, for example, and gone, yeah, I'd quite like to attend this. Mm -hmm. And then that's the end of the road for kind of communicating and joining in in that kind of event community. And it's a shame, but you can definitely see how traditional customers can be um, reached and established in a more beneficial way when using traditional marketing avenues. Yeah. Traditional marketing is really interesting to me. Like I was thinking about it just the other day or like a few days ago, I was looking for like a house cleaning service because my mom's moving. I'm helping her move. We needed a maid. Um, And I was looking online and there's obviously it's all at my fingertips. It's right there. There are so many options. But then, and randomly, I was sitting somewhere. I think, I don't know, I went to a store or something and I happened to see a business card of a maid service. And for some reason in my brain, it was so much easier because I had that physical card just to hold on to that and call them later than do all this searching online. And I ended up working with them. So people underestimate the power of um, yeah, traditional marketing. It could definitely benefit you. And, and like you said, it's often overlooked and not thought about. And those are the those tend to be the customers that are are a little bit more loyal or, you know, tend to stay with you. And I think too, the reason it does work is because we are, no matter how we evolve, I think we're always going to be drawn to that physical thing even more and more now because everything's becoming so digital. Like you said, and me too, I like a good book. I cannot read on a screen. I like to actually <laughs> touch it and, and flip the pages. I don't know how people read it on a screen, but, um, yeah, yeah so, I'm the same. <laughs> yeah, I cannot do that. Especially if I, I work on a computer all day, I want to have that book and that time away from the screen. But yeah, we definitely need to always consider... You definitely do digital, the digital marketing for sure, because we can reach a lot more people, but don't exclude traditional if you can, if you have the resources to put something out there. So, and um, leaving... I have one more question before I let you go because I know you're busy. One of the biggest challenges uh, we see amongst our event promoters is finding ways to increase their event registration, especially now. Um, It might be easier because it's more virtual events. But there are so many channels, opportunities for marketing out there that it can be overwhelming. So putting aside COVID and, and just saying it's a normal world... Are there any suggestions you have when it comes to increasing ticket sales and exploring other marketing avenues? Does that make sense in a way that it's not so overwhelming? Yeah. So um, I think when it comes to promoting a global event, obviously you need to consider the audience. And I always go with the thing of you need to get creative. Um, So ticket sales are no longer defined uh, by traditional digital methods uh, individually or joined. Uh, Instead, you want to look to leverage all of these avenues. Don't pursue one or the other. Um, And really focus in on some of the latest trends. I mean, for example, Clubhouse uh, is a rising platform for B2B organizations at the moment. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's really um, driving forwards a new form um, of communication and kind of community in in its truest sense. I think a lot of people um, are really looking for that kind of community feel. And I'm not sure whether it's because of COVID and the pandemic, and obviously we've all been remote. So we're all searching to 
find communities that share like-minded views and want to know about the same things. But it's definitely rising in popularity and it's, it's basically a new form of networking for organizations to either build or be a part of a wider community. We've got our uh, partners Atlassian, they have the Atlassian community and it's driven by the people that use the products. And it's, it's a free kind of resource for everyone to help each other get to know the products and get to know each other and the topics within the industry and the events that are hosted by partners and the product owners and Atlassian themselves. But it, it provides this very interesting marketing kind of platform that's generally underutilized. Communities are almost forgotten about as a point of marketing an event because what you've got is a whole group basically of like-minded people that are looking for the same things if it's for example our kind of cloud events everyone's looking for cloud migrations at the moment so when you've got communities really focused in on Atlassian cloud migrations you've got a, a pure kind of guest list of people that really want to know about the event instead of reaching out to millions of people that you're just repetitively producing similar content you target in on something that you know really matches up with how they're feeling and what they want to know and it, it likely results in um, a much more interesting and engaged audience when it comes to the event because you've actually reached people that want to know about it they want to kind of be a part of it and some of them even want to kind of actually speak at the events it's it pr provides not only kind of the guest list but actually guest speakers um and everyone wanting to be a bit more collaborative and develop these thought leadership opportunities which is a great thing Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I I haven't really looked too much into Clubhouse. Honestly, I just saw something about it pop up yesterday. I'm trying to remember the article, but that's really interesting that you touched on that. I'm going to also link that, but I'm going to do more research myself because I don't know much about it at all yet because it's fairly new, right? Yeah. I think it's it's been around maybe a month or two. Okay. And um, I think we've kind of pitched it almost like as the new podcast, but it is very different. It's more informal and just a, a sharing of your thoughts platform mm -hmm. in some sense. And it, it gives people a chance to basically connect with organizations and thought leader individuals wow. that, um, like I say, share just very similar views. And it's, it's more of a knowledge share instead of um, a sales pitch or mm -hmm. requiring something from them. Um, everyone's just kind of really interested in what's in their heads and kind of finding out something new. And I think in general, being part of something new, obviously it's the new shiny thing in yeah. the world of social media. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, There's always and, and it's new. quite exclusive as well because they, they, they've done it in a form where you have to be invited um, and then once you're invited into this space, you've got access to a lot of things. But yeah. um, I know, for example, our 
platform that we use for our remote events uh, is called Excel Events, and they've just recently gone on there and they've they've done a an event talk for Clubhouse. But uh, you can't, like I say, you can't access it unless you've physically been invited. And then you kind of get access to all sorts of other bits in the platform once you're in. And um, it's almost like, yeah, it's, it's the truest form of its name, really, being club, being a clubhouse. It's, uh, it's definitely forming like its own bubble of community. Interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because now, yeah, you just sparked my brain. I think <laughs> what it was. I think it was talk. It said Clubhouse being the new um, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I will look into that. Okay, thank you so much. That was a great tip. Before I leave, is there anything else you would like to kind of put out there for our listeners? Any general tips when it comes to virtual events or just planning events right now during COVID? Yeah, so I think my I reckon my main tip um, is really focusing in on the attendees experience i think you can't go wrong really if you've if you've really hone in on that you know you want to ask yourself why they've signed up why they've taken the time to maybe reschedule their meetings and commitments and actually chosen to experience and be educated by what you're presenting at the event and i mean ultimately we all know that our goal is to kind of leave them wanting more and to continue the Mm -hmm. communication but this all kind of turns a little sour if we forget their experience and I mean it it falls into a number of things as well because it can be down to the software um, that you use be it remote or hybrid picking the right one um, really makes a difference so I mean, you you have all the little bits like making sure to test it and have the address rehearsals and kind of having backups as well, because the worst thing with remote events is that technology can fail us and something can go down, whether it's on the platform itself or the Wi-Fi of a guest speaker has suddenly just decided to take a break. And then you've got the backups that you need. Yeah. But the kind of choice of software and like how that enhances or decreases the experience of the, mm-hmm. your attendees is even down to the final little bits, whether they've got to download something or whether they can simply just log into a browser or an app and they're away. So I think what I can't stress enough is knowing your audience and ensuring their experience comes first, because if you don't have that all you're going to find is that they that they have this negative thought mm-hmm. um, associated because maybe you've done all on demand sessions, so this doesn't feel live. So then they feel like, well, I could have just signed in later um, and got the on demand session at a later date. I didn't need to spend the time kind of in the mix. You may not have a reasonable way to engage other participants and kind of creating those communications between speakers and sponsors and vendors. And I mean, I saw it in an event a few weeks ago, the lack of communication and engagement via an event platform meant that they experienced over 65% um, decrease of attendee to attendee, speaker, vendor, and sponsor engagement in comparison to their first remote remote event that they held back 
last year. And I mean, they, they pulled it together very quickly last year. And there, there was issues um, because it was, I think they had three weeks to pull it all together. It was a big expo and then it's, it, it came down to kind of all on online. And obviously there was a lot of attendees in like the thousands and the, the platform took a little bit of time to kind of get used to how many people were turning up all in one go, but they had a whole different experience that while that was a problem, they could engage with everybody that they would have seen in person and they communicated on a much deeper level and got to know everybody. Whereas this year around, they made sure that the software was seamless, but it, it was almost in lieu of any communication or engagement features. So everyone tuned in to watch something, but actually there was no way to talk to someone that was obviously watching yeah. on a screen the next country over. And it that all adds into how we experience the event. So the software really comes down to it a lot of the time. But yeah, I've, like I say, I, I can't stress enough that know your audience and ensure yeah. their experience is what matters and comes first and I think that all events moving forwards you'll find that that's what counts yeah exactly and engagement on for virtual events is so important because we are in a world of like zoom calls and and working remote so if I want to go to an event I don't want to sit there and be like it's another zoom call I want to be able to talk to other people and engage and and stuff. So, and there's so many platforms, like you said, that are offering um, live chats and gamification and all this different stuff. So, just yeah, a lot, of, just a lot of research. But it's worth it. And once you find that great platform for you and your events, it's you know you can just only go up from there. Yeah, I mean, we've noticed obviously it's the classic uh, phrase at the moment, which is Zoom fatigue. I think everyone's experiencing it over yeah. 12 months in and we're all a little bit more switched off. But I think going into that like whole host of technology and what that can bring, uh, we had an event um, back in December where it was a whole virtual world. So they'd taken it a next step forwards where you actually had to participate. There wasn't a way to just sit back and kind of just have it on in the background. It really made you join in as an attendee and it, it changed the whole experience. I mean, they had this, what could only be described as it was like a virtual campus and it simulated expos and conferences. It had offices because they were using it as like a remote office almost. They had all their staff that could go around and yeah. um, have meeting rooms and, you know, they had rooftop parties fireworks and speedboat racing of all things but it meant that you not only needed to get involved but you it made you actually want to get involved and it produced a very unique experience because it was like you were in the room with the other attendees because if you started to walk away the volumes would change in your headphones so that it was like as you're approaching and joining conversations or if you turned your head to talk to somebody else the what you could hear changed as you moved and having something like that is very 
unique and mm-hmm. kind of uh what's the word engaging yeah. but at the same time it's uh also meant that they had to download software onto their computer yeah and that that causes its own set of issues when um you've got your company kind of computer and um they've basically gone okay well we've pre-agreed all of this software that you can download but actually there's a blocker to say we can't download anything else and then it stops you being able to participate so while these types of really unique and interesting um, kind of platforms are out there there's definitely a balance because sometimes the more simple ones that still have that kind of connectivity and engaging features does allow for people to join in much easier and probably join in for longer so it's it's an interesting one where technology sits in the whole realm of remote events exactly I know yeah it's crazy like you said zoom fatigue I've never been on zoom before (laughs) COVID so (laughs) the amount of things we had to adapt to in such a short period of time blows my mind but we're doing it and we're figuring it out and um, I mean all your tips and everyone we've been talking to it's really going to help and we're all growing together so we'll get there well thank you so much for taking the time to um, talk with me. I'm glad we were finally able to do this and come together. And I, I hope the rest of your day is, is good and smooth and, you know, get outside if you can. I don't know what your weather's like. <laughs> oh, it's night there. Yeah. We're, we're just in, we're about quarter to seven. So yeah. we've still got some daylight. Okay. It's, a bit, it's a bit dreary at the moment. We have yeah. thunderstorms. So it's, it's yeah. been interesting to sit at my desk and watch lightning kind of flash <laughs> across the skies, but, uh, no, it's been really great. So thank you ever so much, Savannah. And yeah. it's been I've appreciated it all.